Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. If you're visiting with us, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm a senior pastor here at Grantham, and we are concluding a three-part mini-series on prayer, our cry for the kingdom this morning. In this series, we've been focusing on the need to enter into corporate prayer as a congregation. I began by reminding us that all throughout the scriptures and church history, every spiritual awakening and renewal was founded on intense corporate kingdom-centered prayer. So prayer must be about more than our own spiritual and physical needs because that view of prayer is too small. In addition to those things, we must see prayer as our cry for more of the kingdom, which is why and what it looks like when God's will is being done on the earth, and that will and kingdom always looks like Jesus. As we saw last week, this cry for the kingdom involves using prayer as a way of revolting against spiritual evil. For we don't see that we're in a battle between human, angelic, and demonic wills, then we cannot and will not be about the kingdom coming ministry of Jesus, as we'll see in our scripture text today. This brings us to the final message in our series before we kick off a fall series next week called the Gospel of the Kingdom. And this morning, I'd like us to reflect on what God is able to do when we humble ourselves acknowledge our need for divine intervention, and pray for an inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to share with us this morning a corporate prayer that I'm inviting our congregation to pray together this fall as we seek a renewal, an awakening, and an outpouring of the Spirit here at Grantham, but also for the church in America. Would you pray with me? Father, we open up our hearts and our minds up to you now. We center ourselves upon you and the voice of your spirit. We are listening. Lord, would you speak to us? Comfort us, convict us, challenge us, and empower us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you grab your Bible? Or maybe a pew Bible if you didn't bring your Bible. Or if you have a Bible on your phone, you can pull that out too and turn to Mark chapter 6. The Gospel of Mark chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading with verse 6. I'm going to read verse 6 through 13. And then we're going to skip over to verse 30 and read through 52. You'll see why we're reading this much here in just a bit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the second gospel in the New Testament, but many scholars believe is the first gospel that was written. Would you stand with the reading of the scripture this morning? And follow along as I read. 
Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Think about this story that we've just read together. I hope that you can see why we read all of that together. 
Often when we uh, come upon the feeding of the 5,000, we neglect to see what came before this episode and then what comes after it. It's very important for us to understand its meaning. You see, Jesus had called his disciples together after a while of doing ministry. They're observing Jesus. And Jesus, like the good rabbi and teacher he is, isn't just about filling their heads with knowledge and information. There comes a point where Jesus says, now you need to take what you've heard and what you've seen, and you need to go try it on. (laughs) You need to go do it yourself. And this is what they do. If you've watched the movie The Chosen, you can kind of get this picture, especially in Mark's gospel, of these disciples who are just regular people like you and me, and often they don't get it. As Mark tells us here, their hearts were hardened, just like the people of Israel. They're lacking of faith, but yet Jesus believes in them, and he invests in them, and he tells them to go out. I'm giving you authority and power to do the same things that I've been doing, and they do it. Imagine they go preaching powerfully and casting out demons and healing people. Can you imagine what they must have been feeling? The, the way they came back and gathered around a campfire to report back to Jesus all that they had done. It must have been very exciting. Well, of course, right after that, they are presented with a challenge. What are we going to do about our stomachs? We're hungry. We need something to eat, and we've been ministering quite a bit, and we're tired. The disciples say, let's send them away. But Jesus says, no, no, let's not do that. Jesus had compassion on them. Did you notice that one form of compassion was teaching? He taught them. He taught them many things, Mark says. And to test their faith after a mountaintop experience, after going out two by two, Jesus says, you feed them. Give them something to eat. And we can see how they did with that test, right? Hold on to that thought. Yet Jesus delivers. Jesus prays. Jesus performs a miracle. It would seem that the people aren't fully aware of what has happened. The crowds, the multitudes don't really seem to know that Jesus has performed this miracle. Maybe, as William Barclay suggested, who had a hard time believing in miracles, they all just felt very gracious and loving and began to share their lunches with each other. But we know what really happened, and the disciples know what really happened. Jesus performs a miracle. And they don't get it. They, they miss this opportunity to grow their faith, and so they go out into the boat, and they go out in the sea, and Jesus meets them there on the water. Are you picking up on the imagery? Notice the Old Testament imagery that Mark, I believe, wants us to see about Jesus and about what he's doing here. If you know your Old Testament, there's a phrase Mark uses when the disciples say, this is a remote place, send the people away into the towns to get food. Remote place, the phrase there is used in the uh, Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to speak of the wilderness in Exodus. Think about this picture. We are in a wilderness. We are in a desert-like place. Send the multitudes away. And then we get this imagery of Jesus as shepherd. Did you see the phrase green grass? You might have thought, well, that's odd. Why would it tell us that there's green grass in a patch of wilderness? Well, remember what Psalm 23 says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down 
in green pastures. And so we see that they're hungry, just like the people of Israel were hungry. Give us something to eat. And what does God do? God provides manna from heaven, bread from heaven. Jesus, folks, look at this, is Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus, John will tell us, is the bread of life. And so Jesus feeds them. God performs miraculously. And then, don't miss it, he walks on the sea. As God parted the sea in Exodus, Jesus parts the waters to meet his disciples in the storm. So what do we learn from this story that we've just read, we've just heard? How does it apply to us? I want us to think about this before we move on and tie it into corporate prayer in our specific prayer that we're going to begin praying here at Grantham. Let's consider some of the things being communicated in this story. You can take down some notes here, or you can take a picture of the slide, whichever is easiest. What do we learn from this story? How does it apply? Number one, we see this. We're called to live by faith and trust in God's provision and power. Look at this. Don't let your doubts, don't let your own reasoning and your fears rule you. Remember what God has just done. Reflect back on those Ebenezer moments, how God has moved in your life. Don't forget about that the next time you come to a test and a challenge. And listen to this. Don't make excuses. You remember the excuses that Moses made when God called him? But, but God, I don't speak so well. As if God was like, hmm, yeah, I hadn't taken that into account. <laughs> but God... We, we don't have any food. Send them to the cities. But God, have you ever done that before? But God, I can't do that. But God, there's this insurmountable thing in front of me. But God, and folks, I think the Lord would have us know this this morning, that your butt isn't greater than God. Yeah, you can take that more than one way this morning. That's fine. Number two, we learned this lesson. Jesus wants to increase our faith and for us to grow in our dependency upon him with each passing event. If you've been following the Lord for any amount of time, you know this because you've experienced this, right? Uh, you, you have found yourself in this place where God teaches you the lesson. Didn't I deliver you before? So why are you so lacking in faith now in this moment? God wants to grow us. He wants to increase our faith with every situation, with every event and trial. We see there is an opportunity to grow because the depth of your faith, listen to this, the depth of your faith will determine the reality of the kingdom in you and around you. What if we saw every trial, every tribulation, Every testing and temptation is an opportunity to grow our faith. This is what Jesus wants to do with his disciples. And listen, we don't serve a God that's like, I got you. <laughs> I got you. See, you're lacking in faith. No, God is on our side. God wants us to overcome. God wants us to rise to the challenge. God wants us to grow in these opportunities. Surely, we, we should acknowledge together that, that Jesus when he tells them to feed the people, wants them to exert the same faith they had just used when they preached and cast out demons. But yet they had forgotten. They had forgotten. Number three, another lesson that we learned, God can take the little we have 
and multiply it with faith. Oh, this is good. This is good. Think about it. Five loaves and two fish is enough for God to feed the multitudes. And it begs the question, will you give it to him, what little bit you have? What's your five loaves and two fish? Say, God, this is all I have, this gift, this skill, this thing. I, you know, I don't have much more than that. And God's like, that's fine. Just give it to me. You know, John 6 tells this story. It tells us that a young boy was the one who offered up the five loaves and the two fish here. You kind of get this picture of the disciples. Jesus tells them to go find food. And they're like, does anybody have any lunch you can spare? And wouldn't you know it, it would be a little child that says, Jesus wants my lunch. He can have it. God is inviting us to do the same, to take the little that we have so that he can multiply it just with a little faith. Number four, here's another lesson we learned. In the midst of the storm, remember the miracle in your basket. You say, what are, what are you talking about? Look at this. The disciples saw the power of God before, and the evidence was in their boat. Did you see what Mark said? They had 12 basketfuls left over. Now, where were those baskets? Right between their legs in the boat when the storm came. All they had to do, you see, was look down and say, look what God has done before. God will save us again. God will come through. God will deliver. So what is in your basket, folks? What's in your basket? And can we hear Jesus this morning say to us, remember what I've done before. Remember who I am. I'm greater than these challenges. I'm greater than the storm." Isn't that good? That is good news. You need some good news this morning? That is good news. And then lastly, number five, here's a lesson I think that we can learn from this, this story. Prayer is how we access and release God's blessings. Did you see that picture? Did you see that point in there? It's how we access and release God's blessings. Our prayers can be cries for heaven to break through into our situation. We saw it twice in this story. When Jesus holds up the fish and the loaves, and when Jesus goes on the mountainside to pray, Jesus is praying for thy kingdom to come, thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus took their small offering. He prayed for divine intervention, for heaven to serve on earth what was lacking and in short supply. And brothers and sisters, that's what prayer can do if we'll cry out for more of the kingdom. Think back to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, in which I was just referring. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. I want you to remember what prompts Jesus to say this. The disciples had seen Jesus praying differently than the religious leaders. And they heard Jesus refer to God differently than all the others. Jesus called God Abba, Daddy, Father. And they said, Jesus... I think about it. Of all the questions they could ask, this is what they asked. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Will you teach us how you pray? And this is what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. And as I said a couple weeks ago, uh, this isn't just the only way to pray, but Jesus is leaving us a model for prayer. Look at the structure. Look at the format. Look at the first line. Notice it's a corporate prayer. It's not my Father. It's our Father. It's a corporate prayer. It's also about heaven coming to earth. Your kingdom Come, God is holy, and we pray that his kingdom would come. It's about God's will being done. And this, this phrase here, your will be done, literally in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, it says this, your will come into existence. Your will could be translated as breakthrough into human history. You get that picture? Your will come into existence. Your will break through into this situation, into human history. Don't miss this, church. Jesus sees this collective prayer as a cry for God and for God's kingdom and the inbreaking of this kingdom right here in the middle of our present evil age. And he was teaching his disciples to pray with this in view as they embodied his teachings and mission. That's why in her book, open road. Sue Nielsen Kibbe writes this. She says, Jesus' followers grasped that doing ministry and good works via their own human ideas and expertise wasn't enough. When Jesus taught them to add prayer, asking God to break through miraculously anew, they began to look expectantly for the Almighty God to do in and through them what they had never imagined on their own and certainly couldn't accomplish themselves. This is what it means to cry out for the kingdom in solidarity with the church. When I began this series, I, I poured out my heart, right? And I said, here's how I'm feeling about the church, Big C in America, and about our current situation. And, and I said, the sooner that we can recognize that we are in need of divine intervention. We are not going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Our, our own thinking and, and ingenuity is not going to get us out of this mess that we find ourselves in. And so we need to, as we saw all through the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, cry out to God for God to save us and deliver us. Why do we need to cry out for more of the kingdom together? Well, think about the personal challenges that we're all facing. Whether it's with a job or anxiety or depression or the fears related to the pandemic. Some of us, based on the laments several weeks ago, the cards that you turned in, are experiencing a great deal of loneliness. What is it? What is, you, what is your personal challenge? It's time to cry out for more of the kingdom. For the kingdom of God to be known, for heaven to come down into that situation and God to reveal his power. We'll think about the, the challenges in our church and why we need to cry out for more of the kingdom there. If some of you have heard me say this. I, I believe that Grantham has been in transition for about 20 years since we moved off Messiah's campus. Who are we? What is God calling us to? And as we all know, we've experienced some challenges, internal challenges along the way that's made discovering that even more difficult. And all this time in the last 20 years, the culture and the world around us has changed, and now the pandemic has accelerated the post-Christian culture. And folks, we need God 
to step down and to bless this mess. We need God to intervene. We need more of the kingdom to come in our situation. Think about our country. Our country's in trouble. You know this. We're polarized. We're divided. There's no politician that's going to sort this out. There's no party, even a new one if it was created, is going to sort this out. We need God's help. We need to cry out for more of the kingdom. And one I think we often forget for various reasons. Maybe it's because we don't fully embrace and believe the gospel ourselves, or maybe it's because of the fundamentalist church that we grew up in, and maybe it's we don't even really know what evangelism looks like anymore, but some of us have seemed to, forgot, to forget and we have forgotten that the world is lost without Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today, as the song says, and, and we still believe that at Grantham Church. I hope that you can share that burden with me and our staff this morning that there's a lost world around us in Mechanicsburg and Dillsburg and the Harrisburg area. How will they know if we don't tell them? But what does that look like? How do we do that today? How, how do we do this, especially when the church seems to be in shambles? Well, folks, the first thing we do is pray. Intentional corporate, intense, kingdom-centered prayer. That's why it's time to join together as a church family, to voice a, a collective cry for more of the kingdom. And as Sue suggests here in her book, to create a breakthrough prayer. Think about that. That will be done. Breakthrough prayer that our congregation can begin praying regularly. So that's what we've done. This past week, I spent a couple of hours reflecting on this, and Pastor Melissa and I talked about this, of putting together a corporate prayer that we want to invite the congregation to begin praying this fall. Here is Grantham's breakthrough prayer. It goes like this. Father, we cry out for more of your kingdom in and through Grantham Church. Please break through our darkness Free us from our bondage and open doors for greater ministry. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us by your grace, and we will surrender and faithfully follow Jesus in fulfilling your gospel mission. Amen. Real quick, let me say just a few words about each line in this prayer, and hopefully this will help us as we pray this prayer, begin to pray it every day. What, what do we mean by these words that we're being invited to pray? Let's look at the first line. We cry out for more of your kingdom. Just as the people of God did in the Old Testament and as they did in the New Testament in the early church and all throughout church history, every revival, renewal, and awakening, we begin to cry out together. But not just for great things here at Grantham. And not in the old way of the sort of church growth movement sort of perspective. Not coming to it this way and thinking, how can we market ourselves better and brand ourselves better? No, but with the simple thought of making disciples, the simple task of just doing what Jesus called us to do, to win people to Jesus, to make disciples who make disciples. We want to cry out for more of the kingdom in Grantham and through Grantham. 
to other churches, as Pastor Melissa prayed earlier, to other churches and to everyone in our community. Every man, woman, and child who is open to the gospel is tired of American empire, is tired of her politics, is tired of the division, is tired of the fear, is tired of all of that and ready and ripe to receive the good news afresh. I want you to think about the context of that. Do you know that when Jesus came onto the scene in the first century, there was a rival good news? And we're going to talk about this in this next series. Caesar Augustus had a good news, had a proclamation. It says Caesar has his good news, and this is what it looks like. It looks like, it looks like Rome. It looks like Rome's way. And, and yet people were tired of it. They were fed up with it, and the soil was just right for Jesus of Nazareth to come along preaching a rival kingdom. And folks, I look at the landscape of American empire today as it begins to unravel, as we see even with Afghanistan, just little signs here and there that it's coming apart and unraveling at the scenes. I think God is preparing the soil once again. You've heard me say before, every 500 years, church historians say there is a reformation, there's a great shift, there's a great renewal and awakening, and folks, I think we're beginning to see it. Where will you be in that? If you need to deconstruct your faith, do it. But I, I implore you not to do it on Twitter. Don't just rebrand yourself like we see some Christian artists doing. I, look, I, I've gone through the deconstruction. I encourage you to do it. If, if that's where you're at, you're beginning to question things, the faith of your, of your fathers and your mothers, and, and you say that, that there has to be something more. There has to be more of a Christianity that looks like Jesus. I implore you to seek it out, to find it, to be intentional about becoming a redeemed cynic. Because if you're just a cynic... You can't help the church. You can't help further the gospel mission, and you certainly won't be ready to be a part of this renewal and this awakening. We cry out for more of your kingdom in and through Grantham Church. Look at the second line. Please break through our darkness. What's your darkness? Maybe there's a personal darkness. Maybe we can see a darkness within the church and the church at large, the darkness in society and culture. We need God to break through our darkness, to shine the light of his love and his wisdom, his comfort of his salvation into the dark places, to free us from our bondage. You see, that's strong language. Well, that's what the New Testament says, folks, that we are slaves to sin and we're being called to become slaves to righteousness. Do we recognize our own individual bondage? Do we recognize the strongholds within our church that we've not been able to break through and to experience new life? We pray for that. Break through our darkness. Free us from our bondage and open doors for greater ministry. Not that, the, not that Grantham's church's name would be known, but that Christ's name would be known. Not that we would compete with other churches, but we say we are one family. We are one church. Sure, we have our values. We have our distinctives that I think should come to bear in the landscape of American Christianity for such a time as this. We say all those who confess the Apostles' Creed, all those who say Jesus is Lord, all those who recognize that there's a problem and there's only one person that can fix it, we join with them. We say we are one. One God, one baptism. We serve together. Open doors for greater ministry, that people might be healed, that people might know a movement of the Spirit. 
And the third line, fill us with your spirit and empower us by your grace. Fill us with your spirit, just as the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. Just as the Holy Spirit has come through every revival in American history. As I said before, sure, there were some things that weren't so great about every revival, every awakening. You can find it all throughout the history of God's people. But why does that surprise us? This is what God does. God works with broken people. He meets us where we are. Let's celebrate the good things God has done, the things that God can do. Let's invite the Lord to fill us with the Spirit just as he did the early church and empower us by his grace. We, meaning we do this humbly. We don't do this in arrogance. We totally rely and depend upon the Lord and the grace that he's given us through Christ on the cross. And then lastly, we surrender and we faithfully follow Jesus in fulfilling his gospel mission. When I think of surrender, I think of open hands. Would you just do that with me right now? Would you just hold your hands open like this? You think about the vulnerability of this posture. God, I surrender to you. Whatever is in my hands, whatever idols, whatever fears, whatever uh, attempts at control, whatever I'm trying to do to hold it together, I say I can't and I give it to you. I give it all to you, Lord. I want nothing but you. We surrender all. We surrender and we faithfully follow Jesus. Whatever the Lord calls and invites us to do. I think if we're honest, church, that's a very scary thing, isn't it? I mean, if I, if I open myself up like that, if I surrender to the Lord and say, your will be done, whatever you want, just as Jesus did in the garden, what might he ask me to do? So then it comes down to this. Do you trust him? If he says, I want to take this out of your life, I want you to stop doing this. I want you to stop going here. I want you to repent of those things and repent of that way of thinking. I want you to let go of your pride. I want you to let go of your cynicism, of your bitterness, of your unforgiveness. I I want you to let go of of thinking that... uh, you know, you, you have to be the corrector of everyone's doctrine and of their politics. I want you to let go of all of that. I want you to empty yourself and let me fill you with my spirit. This is what we pray when we say, Lord, we surrender and we faithfully follow Jesus in fulfilling your gospel mission. And that gospel mission is this, folks. As we see in Romans chapter 8, while we live in a broken world, We're made in God's image. God created the world to flourish and to thrive and the cosmos to to put on display and to praise his holy name. We know things aren't as they should be. But as Paul said in Romans 8, God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we have to answer that call. We have to respond to that invitation. What Jesus said is true, and what Jesus did was true, that when he was crucified, he died and forgave us of our sins. He took all of the worst the world could could give, all of the evil, and he took it upon himself, and he took it on the cross, and it was nailed there with him. As he was laid in that tomb, and God raised him from the dead, we see the prototype. We see where things are going if we put our trust in Jesus. What happened to Jesus in his resurrected state is going to happen to all of creation 
to those who believe. And this is the gospel that we proclaim. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. You can be transformed. You can begin even now to experience resurrection life. You can be people of God's good future and live with hope and trust that one day when Christ comes back, he will restore and renew all things. This is what we are praying in Grantham's Breakthrough Prayer. So what are we going to do with this prayer? And how should we use it? Lastly, these are a few things I want to suggest to us as we take this prayer with us. Uh, At the end of the service, you're going to get this prayer. At least it'll be offered to you. I hope that you'll take it on a little business card, Grantham's Breakthrough Prayer. And you can take it with you. You can put it in your wallet. You can put it in your purse. You can put it on your mirror at home, however you want to use this. You can put it on your phone. How can you join with our congregation and corporately pray in Grantham's Breakthrough Prayer? Uh, Well, here's a few ideas. One, you can include the prayer in your own regular rhythms of prayer. Whatever those regular rhythms and routines look like, whether it's in the morning in your quiet time where you pray and and read Scripture before bedtime, or maybe it's around the dinner table, whatever that looks like for you, I encourage you to begin to include this breakthrough prayer into those rhythms. You could also set a timer on your phone at certain times of the day. When that timer goes off, pull out that card and begin to pray that prayer. And in time, I think you'll find you will memorize this prayer. You won't need that card anymore. You won't have to look at it anymore. It'll become such a part of your daily and weekly liturgy uh, that you'll know it by heart. And then lastly, pray the prayer at all church group gatherings and meetings. And while we are planning to include Grantham's Breakthrough Prayer in most worship services this fall, I want to strongly encourage you to decide how you want to incorporate this prayer into your religious rhythms and, and personal routines. Will you do that? Will you commit to that? That we together, collectively and corporately, will begin to seek the Lord together and trust that we're doing this as a church family. Again, we'll give you some cards at the end of the service. Here's the prayer one more time. And this time, please join me in saying the breakthrough prayer as we close out this series and prepare to receive communion together. Pray this with me. Father, we cry out for more of your kingdom in and through Grantham Church. Please break through our darkness, free us from our bondage, and open doors for greater ministry. Fill us with your spirit and empower us by your grace, and we will surrender and faithfully follow Jesus in fulfilling your gospel mission. Amen. Amen. Join us in corporate prayer church. Join your church family and crying out to God for more of the kingdom. And then let's watch what God does as a result. Take your five loaves, take your two fishes, and together we hold them up to heaven. And we pray for the Lord to meet us on the stormy waters. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as you fed Israel with manna in the wilderness, You fed the multitudes through your son, Jesus. And you're still feeding us today through your word and through your table. You're the true bread of heaven. Without you, there is no life. Without you, you told us we can do nothing. So Lord, feed us now. Give life to our souls. Break through into our darkness. Shine the light of your love and your favor on your people. And bring renewal and awakening to your church. 
Lord, let this begin with us at Grantham Church. Lord, hear our cry for more of the kingdom. Build your kingdom here, just as we sing. Make possible what seems impossible to us as we consider all of our needs and so many uncertainties about the future. Still, we trust you. Your character and your power, we trust you. Help us not to waste this time by living in fear and cynicism, anger and apathy. May we respond to the voice of your spirit who we hear calling, repent and return to me. May we be broken over our sins, Lord, and may we know that in you is forgiveness and new life. So God, bring us to a place of confession and total surrender. Give us a hunger for more of you. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Reignite a passion for Christ and the gospel and help us to see the lostness of our world and the urgency of this hour. And do this so that your will would be done in us, in your church, and in the world. Break through into our reality, Lord. As we partake of communion this morning, let this table be a tangible reminder that you will reconcile, renew, and restore all things. You will establish your kingdom on the earth, and we are being included into that gospel mission. And so, God, we thank you for the joy and the promise. And we say that all the glory is yours in this life and in the age to come. And meet us now in this bread and in this cup. For it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.